Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sorry about the noise. My neighbor's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Hello everybody, welcome to the Captain's Run. Julian Stoop filling in for Kane Corns on what's a fantastic day for Melbourne. 28 days now without a COVID-19 case, which means we're pretty much uh, destroyed uh, COVID here in Melbourne. It's a beautiful summer's day. The cricket starts uh, the first of the six matches in the one-day series between Australia and India. So great day to be in Melbourne, beautiful day uh, outside, and a big show coming up. We'll speak to Port Melbourne coach Gary Ayres, uh, re-signed, of course, with Port Melbourne. Uh, he'll coach his 250th game next year. Be interested to find out, too, from Gary, whether North Melbourne did speak to him uh, during their process as they look for a new coach and ultimately signed uh, David Noble. Plenty going on in the NBA uh, with all the, uh, the trades over there, some new uh, two out of uh, the NBL today with Jay Sean Tate signing for the Houston Rockets. So he's leaving the Sydney Kings. We'll speak with Liam Santa Maria from the NBL and also ESPN.com.au. Uh, uh, plenty of footy as well, as we mentioned, Gary Ayres, also Swans Academy player and likely first round draft pick uh, Errol Goulden will join us. As we mentioned, the cricket gets underway today. Uh, Trent Copeland from Channel 7 uh, will give us a big preview of the summer of cricket. What a great series will be, both in the ODIs uh, and the Test Series uh, between Australia and India. And then this weekend, Mike Tyson returns to the boxing ring against Roy Jones Jr. So two men uh, over 50. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about this fight. It's been described as potentially being the most boring fight we'll ever see. Uh, one man that knows all about the boxing game uh, is Ben Damon from Fox Sports. And we'll chat to him about just what we can expect uh, from seeing two of the great fighters uh, return to the ring this weekend. Uh, so before that, we want to take your calls uh, in the first hour, one 736 736 Of course, the temper text line, 433 16 And on the back of Mike Tyson, it got me thinking, some of the great sporting comebacks that we've seen and some that also uh, haven't worked. If we look at it from a footy perspective, certainly one that didn't work uh, was the great man, the greatest goal kicker the game has ever seen. Tony Lockett retired in 1999, had two years out of the game, came back wearing the number 46 Guernsey for the Sydney Swans. Uh, but unfortunately, that comeback uh, in 2002 really didn't work out too well. Just the three games... Uh, and the three goals, but certainly one that did work uh, at AFL level is the great man here, Tim Watson. Retired in 1991, uh, came out of retirement uh, after spending a year at Channel 7 in 1992, came out of retirement in 1993 and basically sealed the Bombers' place uh, in the 1993 grand final with this goal against Adelaide in the 1993 preliminary, preliminary final. Very important possession. Watson's got it. Watson goes for goal. Universe. Back in the last down. Essendon 
Oh, how good was that? Went on to be a premiership player uh, the next week. So I'd love to get your nominations of some of the favourite sporting comebacks that you've seen and some that certainly uh, haven't worked. Not just footy, we've seen in tennis. Kim Clijsters is attempting to make her second comeback after spending uh, eight months off the tour. If you go right back to cricket uh, in the 70s, Bob Simpson came back after nine years uh, in retirement as uh, World Series cricket really hurt uh, the Australian team. So there's, there's examples across uh, all sports. Another topic I'd love to explore today is uh, the sporting villain. Now, we saw, of course, the uh, tragic passing of Diego uh, Maradona yesterday. Just such a pulverizing figure, such a popular figure in Argentina, but uh, not so popular in England after the hand of God and always a, a sportsman that uh, divided opinion. And, and we'll see one in action today at the SCG, Virat Kohli. I love him. I think he's fantastic the way he takes it up to the Australians, but certainly a lot of uh, Australian uh, fans aren't big fans of Virat Kohli. So has there been a sporting villain that you've slowly warmed to, whether it's you know a Toby Green or a, a Hayden Ballantyne or, or Virat Kohli? He's, he's the sort of player that, yes, you love to see him, uh, the Australians beat him and, and obviously Australia beat India, but is he the sort of player that you just love watching and, and love doing well, even if it is against Australia? So I'd love to get your opinion on that. As well, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The temper text line zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Now, as we mentioned, Diego Maradona passed away. One of the greatest sporting names in history, arguably the greatest footballer we have ever seen on the planet. So, uh, a worldwide figure. But obviously, this is a little snippet here from Tasmanian Parliament. Now, now with Tasmania, they're talking about their AFL team. They're desperate for an AFL team. They're putting the pressure uh, on the AFL. But clearly, I don't know if they'll be getting a soccer team down there anytime soon after this. Passing of, of one of the world's greatest football players, Diego Morando, who passed away at the age of 60. <laughs> Diego Morando. Now, that wasn't just anyone speaking. That was the Tasmanian sports minister, Jane Howlett. Couldn't quite get Diego Maradona's name out. So that's a little bit embarrassing uh, down there. So I'm not sure we're going to see an A-League team or any soccer team down in Tasmania, given uh, that the knowledge of the sports minister uh, doesn't seem to be that strong. But let's uh, hit the phones, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 And Jack has joined us from Churnside Park. G'day, Jack. Uh, g'day, mate. How you going? I'm well, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Beautiful uh, sunny day in Melbourne, so can't complain. Uh, just two things uh, now that I've, I've got a villain uh, to jump in on the topic. But first and foremost, uh, I think it's important for all uh, Australian sports fans uh, to um, commemorate and remember Phil Hughes today. I think, believe it's six yeah. years on from his tragic passing. And, uh, right. yeah, it's just fitting that the Aussies uh, take the field tonight. Uh yeah, in memory of uh, the great Phil Hughes. Um, yeah, great cricketer, and it was just such a tragedy for Australian sport. Uh, but, yeah, I've got a uh, villain, uh, and it's Luke Hodge. I uh, I couldn't stand him for a long, long time. <laughs> there was just something about him I just didn't like. I knew he was a good footballer and a great leader and whatnot, but some thuggish acts over the years. But when he moved to Brisbane, it all came uh, Yeah, it all came to me that he's, he just is a football great, and uh, it, it certainly swayed my opinion of him. Yeah, definitely Luke Hodge for me. Who do you follow, Jack? I'm a Western Bulldog supporter. Yeah, it's funny. Isn't it funny how, how a player that can they can change colours and they're suddenly not quite as offensive. I mean, Luke Hodge, if you're a Geelong supporter or you're an Essendon supporter, he's this big, tough, aggressive uh, leader for the Hawks. And as you say, he he, uh, he pushed the line at times, overstepped the line at times with his aggression. 
suddenly just didn't seem so offensive when he went up to that young Brisbane Lions team. And uh, it's it's funny how it changes when uh, some players. That's a good example, uh, Luke Hodge. Uh, it, I think he's one player that certainly. Maybe not so much of a villain, but uh, I think universally admired, uh, even though at times he was tough and, and overstepped the line. Great point you make, too, about Phil Hughes. And as Meredith mentioned in the news, obviously this is the first time the Australian team has played since the tragic passing of Dean Jones, and there'll certainly be a tribute uh, at the SCG uh, to Dean Jones uh, this afternoon as well. Just a reminder to our prize for the best caller today, 18 holes of golf for two, thanks to Club Mandalay a must-play course in Melbourne's North. What a great time to get out there and play some golf, particularly with the weather getting better and better in Melbourne. Let's go to Andrew in Fitzroy, who's got a sporting comeback for us. Get Andrew. Oh, g'day. Um, got two for you from the US. Uh, the first one's Bo Jackson, who played NFL and baseball at the same time, did his hip and came back and played baseball, professional baseball with an artificial hip. And there was another guy over there who played in the NFL, and I can't remember his name, but in one of the most freak injuries ever, he tore both patella tendons, had them surgically repaired, and then somehow managed to come back and play in the NFL at the cornerback position, which involves a lot of twisting and turning. Yeah, great. Bo Jackson, what a great athlete he was. And that, that I've seen that ESPN documentary on Bo Jackson and... Uh, that, that, that injury you mentioned was horrific. And uh, there's actually a great comeback story in the uh, NFL at the moment. Alex Smith, a quarterback who's suffered a horrific uh, broken leg. If you get a chance to see the E30 episode on this on ESPN, just the, the, the injury that he had and then there was complications uh, in hospital. Uh, the fact that he has got back out there and is playing as a starting quarterback again uh, is absolutely uh, unbelievable. So, yeah, uh, some brave acts there in the NFL. And as we know, those guys are some of the toughest athletes uh, in the business. Thanks for your call, Andrew. Let's go to John in Taylor's Lakes. G'day, John. Is that you, Jules? It is, mate. Sorry, mate. I was just in the tunnel, the Burnley tunnel. <laughs> that's um, all right. Well, we've got receptions. So that's good. Yeah. Um, one... I think we've all had uh, pretty good mates that have been hotheads at times, but the guy that's turned me around, I think he's got a very good heart and he does care about people, is Nick Kurios. Yeah, that's a really good call. Well, why has he turned you around? Well, just mainly over the COVID, um, the COVID time, he's, um, he's stuck up for what he believes is right and what we should be doing um, to keep the thing under control. Um, he's always got time. I've seen him when he's not playing. He's walking around the court. He's always got time for kids. And I think his heart is in the right place, mate. He is a bit hot-headed every now and again. But I think as a person, he's uh, he's a pretty decent guy. And uh, I think he's going to have a bit of success towards the uh, middle, later part of his career, mate. Yeah, it's a really good call, John. He's had a fantastic year, Nick Kyrgios, in terms of... Uh his public perception and, and the way he's come across it. Look, it really did start right at the start of the year when Australia was going through uh, the tragedy of the bushfires. And he was the one that really got uh, the fundraising underway from in terms of from a tennis uh, point of view with donating for every ace that he served and was, uh, you know, along with the Australian Open organisers, was massive organising that big charity night just before the Australian Open. And he's obviously been very outspoken about some of the, I guess, the recklessness of some of the tennis players, Novak Djokovic, uh, for one, in terms of uh, COVID. Um, and obviously, as you say, he does some fantastic things with uh, with children and, and some of his charities that he sets up. So I think it's a really good call. And I think a lot of people feel a lot differently about uh, Nick Kyrgios than they did 
uh, 12 months ago. And obviously he hasn't played much tennis this year. So let's hope he gets out there next year and continues uh, to play some good tennis on the court. Because take everything you set aside as well. In terms of entertainment value, if you want to watch a tennis player, he's right up there with the very best in the world. You just don't know what you're going to get, but it is always uh, entertaining uh, with Nick Kyrgios. So thanks for your call, John. Let's go to Carmen in Chelsea. G'day, Carmen. Yeah, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, buddy. And you? Very well, thank you. Hey, uh, Jules, the back come back. Two nominees. How can we forget in Tasmania the great comeback uh, uh, Peter Hudson, um, sorry, not Tasmania, but when he came down with the helicopter. Yeah, remember, you know? yeah that's and, right. He uh, flew into Waverley in a helicopter, didn't he? Yeah, and performed, I think, after two years uh, of being out of it or something. Anyway, and he performed like as if he had never been away. For those old enough to remember, that was uh, a hell of a comeback. He kicked, eight, he kicked eight did goals, didn't he? Didn't he kick eight goals in that game? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, crazy. And the other one, um, which I thought would never make it, because my wife kept on making fun of um, the fact that he couldn't fit into the uh, to the Hawthorne Guernsey, was Stewie Dew, that was in the 2008 grand final against the Cats. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, yeah. He swung those guys around off him and then kicked the goal, I mean, which inspired everybody. Now, unless you're a Cat supporter, you would have been excited about that, that uh, yeah, they're my nominees. What do you think? Absolutely, yeah, Stuart. It's come through a little bit uh, on the text machine. So, of course, a Port Adelaide Premiership player, Alistair Clarkson, uh, knew him from his days at Port Adelaide. They played in that 2004 Premiership together, got him out of retirement. And that third quarter, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the game was turning, and Stuart Jude absolutely took it away uh, from Geelong. He kicked a couple of goals. Uh, he set up another one. In about eight minutes of footy, he literally took the game away from Geelong in really what was a big grand final upset when you think about the fact, yes, Hawthorne were fantastic uh, in that final series, but Geelong had won- lost only one game for the season. And really, if they kicked straight in the first half, they probably had the game sewed up at half time. but they left the door open. And uh, Stuart Jew uh, certainly uh, took the game away from him. So that's a, a fantastic nomination. Peter Hudson coming through pretty strong uh, on the temper text line as well. Uh, he's another one on the temper text. Worst comebacks. Beyond Borg, now this is a really interesting one. He retired in 1983, one of the great tennis players, 11 Grand Slam singles titles. Then he came back in 1991, was still using an old wooden racket, and in two years on the circuit didn't win one match and then retired again. So that certainly was a failed uh, comeback, that one. Tony Lockett coming through pretty strongly. Also this one too, the best comeback for me was Colin Kipper Cowdery. He was 77 and came out to face the crazy fast bowlers Australia had. I'm not sure he was 77. I think it was might be 47. Crazy stuff. Australia didn't need a keeper because Kipper had the cherry bounce off him. Uh, that was from Barking Mad. So, yeah, there's certainly been some uh, some cricketers, particularly back in the 70s era, as we mentioned. Uh, Bob Simpson uh, was another one that came uh, back after nine years uh, in the wilderness to play for Australia during that World Series uh, cricket era when a lot of the top Australian players uh, couldn't play test cricket uh, for their country. Let's go to Andy on the road. Get Andy. Morning. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, one footy player that I thought was an absolute knob when he wasn't at my club and uh, and a lot of people across the AFL would, would agree was Mitch Robinson. But... Uh, after um yeah finding out exactly how much he uh, he does for the for 
his own kids, the, the community up there. And also, um, as Brisbane rose up the ladder, and he's obviously got a bit older and uh, and calmed down. So he's done a, a complete uh, yeah 180 in my books. Yeah, no, it's a really good call. I think he's one of those players now that's uh, universally admired. I think it's the same as Luke Hodge to a degree. When he was doing what he he does and aggressive, in your face, uh, mouths off a bit. When he was doing that at a Carlton, which is a bit of a polarising club, uh, I certainly think he's more popular since he's gone to Brisbane. And no doubt, he, you know, he's a, he's a good footballer too, Mitch Robinson. He's more than just uh, getting in a few scuffles and, and being pretty outspoken. He, he's actually turned into a really good footballer, a best and fairest winner uh, for Brisbane. So that's a really good nomination, uh, Andy. Thanks for that one. Let's go to Scotty in Keelor Downs. G'day, Scotty. G'day, Jules. How you going, mate? I'm well, mate. Yourself? All right. You know, taking my dog for a walk on a lovely day at the moment. So, you know, it's Beautiful out there, isn't it? It is. It is. Now, um, my sporting comeback is um, Jaden McCartney from North Melbourne went after the Bailey bombings. That's a great comeback. Great, great nomination. What are your memories of that comeback, that special night against Richmond uh, at Etihad Stadium? Exactly. I was going to ask you this against Richmond because I was actually there. Yeah, it was. He kicked a goal in the last quarter, and uh, from memory, yeah. North got across the line by less than a kick. Yes, they did. Yes, I mean I'm a doggies fan, and I didn't care who it was, but I, um, I think I got invited by my brother. He said I've got a spare ticket if you want to come along. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll come along. But I didn't know Jake McCartney was going to retire after that game. So. No, it was a very emotional night. Was it, it was emotional anyway? And then you're right. No one knew. Uh, only a few people at North Melbourne, and I think uh, the broadcaster, which was Channel 9, Tony Jones, did the interview uh, afterwards. I think he might have had an inkling that Jason McCartney was going to announce his retirement, but I don't think anyone saw that coming. I think everyone saw the amazing thing he did to get back, to get over those shocking burns that he suffered in the Bali bombings. And now that he was back, I think everyone thought, I'd at least play out the season. And then all of a sudden, he just came out and said, this is it. It's been a great ride. It's, it's, I've, I've given it everything I've got, I've spent, uh, and I'm done. So, yeah, it was one of the great nights, 2003, uh, North Melbourne versus Richmond uh, at Etihad Stadium. And uh, it was one of the bravest things we've seen uh, in the sporting field. That one coming across pretty strongly on the temper text line as well. So keep your nominations uh, coming in for villains that might have turned you around and some of the great sporting comebacks and some that haven't been uh, as strong as well. We'll take your calls and read out more of your texts after the break. This is the captain's runner, or some have suggested the vice captain's run uh, with Julian Stoop filling in for Kane Corns. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in from Kane, for Kane Corns, who's having a well-earned break. Now, some basketball news coming through from uh, our good friend here, Olgan Ulich uh, from ESPN, suggesting some more great news for Australia with uh, Brisbane Bullet Will Magne uh, in the process of finalising a two-way deal with the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, league sources have told ESPN. So we might see another... Uh, Australian off to the NBA, which would be fantastic news. Uh, let's get back to the open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you want to join us, Wayne from Surrey Hills has phoned in. G'day, Wayne. Dropped out. You there, Wayne? Yeah, mate. Hey, mate, how are you going? Yeah, good. That's good. What do you got for us? 
I've got to um, come back. John Greening from Collingwood after he got knocked out by Jim O'Day. Yeah, um, one of the most controversial incidents of the 70s, isn't it? Uh, what, what are your memories of, of John Greening? Oh, he would have won the Brownlow that year. He um, only played about eight games and was leading when he um, went down. He was just a, a really fast, um, classy wingman. And he was never the same again, was he, unfortunately? That, that, that no. knock took such a toll on him that he was never the same player again. No, yeah, no, very sad story, that one of John Greening. And, uh, you, you, you know, you think of Collingwood, they were so close a few times in the 70s. You think of 1977, 1979. If, uh, if John Greening, I know that was in the early 70s, but uh, he would have been at the peak of his powers uh, by the late 70s. Who knows for the Magpies? They might have got another couple of those grand finals. Just a few nominations uh, off the temper text line in terms of villains that have turned people around. Uh, Damien said, Graham Smith, the captain and batsman from South Africa, didn't like him until he walked out on to, to bat on the SCG with a broken arm. Respect. Yeah, that was really gutsy stuff uh, from Graham Smith. Uh, in terms of footy, uh, Chris in Bateman's Bay, the ultimate villain was Ryan Crowley until he joined the Bombers as a top-up player when all our blokes were wrong, wrongfully forced to sit out of a season. Now I love the bloke. Uh, Ken from Churchill. Kevin Peterson absolutely hated the man, but now I love him. Uh, in terms of Virat Kohli, uh, Aussies don't like Kohli because he gives it back to them. Can give it out but can't take it. The Aussies, Leighton Hewitt, I hated him when he was young in his career, but once he finished his career, I loved him. Now, this is an interesting one. I'm not sure everyone would have the same take here. Novak Djokovic for me. Hated him early in his career, but couldn't have more respect for him now. And, and this one might be tough to beat uh, for the ultimate sporting comeback, and that is the golfing great Ben Hogan. So in 1949, uh, he suffered... Terrible injuries uh, in a car accident, a head-on collision as he was driving back from a tournament in Phoenix back to uh, Fort Worth in uh, Texas. Uh, he was in the wife uh, in the car with his wife, Valerie. He dived in front of her to save her, and luckily he did that. Otherwise, he would have died himself because uh, there was some horrific uh, damage to the driver's side of the car. Now, in this accident, when he was 36 years of age, he suffered a double fracture of the pelvis, a fractured collarbone, a left ankle fracture, a chip rib, and near-fatal blood clots. Further complications in hospital saw him almost pass away. Uh, but he returned to the golf tour and four years later had his best ever season. So that's going to be very tough to beat in sport in terms of sporting comebacks. We'll get more of your calls shortly, but off to the newsroom with Meredith Gibbs. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in from Kane, for Kane Corns, who's having a well-earned break. Now, some basketball news coming through from uh, our good friend here, Olgan Ulich uh, from ESPN, suggesting some more great news for Australia with uh, Brisbane Bullet Will Magne uh, in the process of finalising a two-way deal with the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, league sources have told ESPN. So we might see another... Uh, Australian off to the NBA, which would be fantastic news. Uh, let's get back to the open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you want to join us, Wayne from Surrey Hills has phoned in. G'day, Wayne. Dropped out. You there, Wayne? Yeah, mate. Hey, mate. How are you going? Yeah, good. That's good. What do you got for us? I've got a um, comeback. John Greening from Collingwood after he got knocked out by Jim O'Day. Yeah, um, one of the most controversial incidents of the 70s, isn't it? Uh, what, what are your memories of, of John Greening? Oh, he would have won the Brownlow that year. He um, 
only played about eight games and was leading when he um, went down. He was just a, a really fast, um, classy wingman. And he was never the same again, was he? Unfortunately, that 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 no. knock took such a toll on him that he was never the same player again. No, no, that's, yeah, no. Very sad story that one of John Greening. And uh, you, you, you know, you think of Collingwood; they were so close a few times in the seventies. You think of nineteen seventy-seven, nineteen seventy-nine. If uh, if John Greening, I know that was in the early seventies, but uh, he would have been at the peak of his powers uh, by the late seventies. Who knows for the Magpies? They might have got. Another couple of those grand finals. Just a few nominations uh, off the temper text line in terms of villains that have turned people around. Uh, Damien said, Graham Smith, the captain and batsman from South Africa, didn't like him until he walked out on to, to bat on the SCG with a broken arm. Respect. Yeah, that was really gutsy stuff uh, from Graham Smith. Uh, in terms of footy, uh, Chris in Batemans Bay, the ultimate villain was Ryan Crowley until he joined the Bombers as a top-up player when all our blokes were wrong, wrongfully forced to sit out of a season. Now I love the bloke. Uh, Ken from Churchill. Kevin Peterson absolutely hated the man, but now I love him. Uh, in terms of Virat Kohli, uh, Aussies don't like Kohli because he gives it back to them. Can give it out but can't take it. The Aussies, Leighton Hewitt, I hated him when he was young in his career, but once he finished his career, I loved him. Now this is an interesting one. I'm not sure everyone would have the same take here. Novak Djokovic for me. Hated him early in his career, but couldn't have more respect for him now. And, and this one might be tough to beat uh, for the ultimate sporting comeback, and that is the golfing great Ben Hogan. So in 1949, uh, he suffered terrible injuries uh, in a car accident, a head-on collision as he was driving back from a tournament in Phoenix back to uh, Fort Worth in uh, Texas. Uh, he was in the wife uh, in the car with his wife, Valerie. He dived in front of her to save her, and luckily he did that. Otherwise, he would have died himself because uh, there was some horrific uh, damage to the driver's side of the car. Now, in this accident, when he was 36 years of age, he suffered a double fracture of the pelvis, a fractured collarbone, a left ankle fracture, a chip rib, and near-fatal blood clots. Further complications in hospital saw him almost pass away. Uh, but he returned to the golf tour and four years later had his best ever season. So that's going to be very tough to beat in sport in terms of sporting comebacks. We'll get yeah, more of your captain. calls shortly, but off to the newsroom with Meredith Gibbs. Thank you, Meredith. We're talking about sporting villains that might have turned you around and some of the great sporting comebacks or some comebacks uh, that didn't quite work out. That's on the back of Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Uh, re-entering the ring this weekend. We'll speak to Ben Damon uh, from Fox Sports about that fight. And, of course, uh, in terms of the villains, it was the tragic passing of Diego Maradona yesterday. And, of course, Australia versus India uh, in the first one day at the SCG today. Virat Kohli, one of the great villains of world cricket, uh, divides opinion, but uh, one of the great batsmen, or the number one batsman in the world. He's got a great rivalry with our own Steve Smith uh, as well. So that will all resurface again at the SCG. We'll speak to Trent Copeland uh, from Channel 7 about the summer of cricket uh, shortly as well. Also, Brett Phillips will join us uh, very, very shortly as well. What's the latest with the Australian Open? What will the start date be? And obviously, as we said off the top of the show, a great day in Melbourne today, 28 days in a row now without a COVID case. So what does that mean for the Australian Open uh, in January or potentially at the start of February? So we'll touch base with Brett Phillips very shortly as well. But let's go back to the phones. one 736 736 if you want to join us. The temper text line 0433 98 11 16. And Brendan's called from Horsham. G'day, Brendan. Brendan, you there? 
Yeah, mate. Hello, mate. How are you going? Oh, you're on the air. I'm on the air. Far away. Oh, sorry. <laughs> hey. So, hello to Craig Nusky in Gippsland who listens but never rings in. But Tony Gregg in 74, he was, oh, yeah, he was loved, loved to hate him. <laughs> he used to, he'd give it, he was a bit like Colby. He gave it back to us. Yeah, he sure did, and then he became. Didn't he become such a big part of our lives and a big part of our summer as uh, part of the nine cricket uh, commentary team? And uh, yeah, he still gave it to the Aussies, even though he lived here uh, for twenty odd years. And uh, yeah, Bill Laurie versus Tony Gregg in the commentary box is certainly uh, a good memory from more uh, well, my childhood and plenty of people growing up uh, watching the summer of cricket on Channel Nine. Thanks for your call, Brendan. Let's go to Dale in Hobart. G'day, Dale. G'day, Julie. How are you? I'm good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good, good. But I just want to ring in regards to uh, the cricket coverage today. Um, I'm just really disappointed that Cricket Australia won't allow the everyday cricketing public to be able to watch this today. Like, this is our summer of cricket, and for some reason it's becoming an elitist uh, game where it's only on Fox and, I think, KO, and uh, the everyday person cannot actually watch the game like we used to. Like, we used to look forward to this as a kid. And now it's been taken away for us for some, no doubt it's money, but uh, I just don't understand how they can actually look themselves in the eye and, and say this is okay. Yeah, it's, it's a good call, Dale. And we've had a lot of people call the station this week or text in about this. And look, it's really tough. Obviously, it's the first game of the summer, as you say. Everyone's been starved of, uh, you know, great sport on Australian shores, uh, you know, starved of uh, international cricket as well. Uh, this year, and it's a massive series, of course, Australia versus India. And, uh, yeah, it's not on free-to-air, unfortunately. And uh, as we know, not everyone has Fox Sports. And uh, so it does make it tough. So hopefully, uh, you know, people can get to a mate's place or they can get to a a local pub now and uh, have a look at the game. But, yeah, I certainly understand for people that don't have uh, Fox Sports, uh, it is tough today. Everyone's pretty excited to see the start of the summer and, and they can't see it. So let's hope, Dale, for your sake... Uh, you can get somewhere that uh, has it on uh, on Fox Sports and uh, enjoy the first match of what should be a fantastic summer between Australia and India. Let's go to Brian in Chelsea Heights. G'day, Brian. G'day, mate. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, excuse me. That's I right. uh, <laughs> great comebacks. Um, I, was, uh, I was at Olympic Park in 1956 when John Landy spiked Ron Clark, stopped, went back and got him and went on and, and beat Merv Lincoln. And uh, and that was one of the greatest things I think I've ever seen. I was 14 at the time. And uh, as, as a comeback, I don't think I've ever seen the likes of it before or since. Yeah, that's a really good call, Brian. I hadn't thought of that one as a as a sort of comeback. I was sort of thinking of people uh, that had come out of retirement. But uh, arguably one of the, well, no doubt, one of the greatest bits of sportsmanship uh, that we've ever seen. And uh, just a, a famous moment. Uh, and it is actually a statue down there. Uh, near Olympic Park in Melbourne, uh, commemorating that uh, great moment. So it's a great call, Brian. Thanks uh, for calling. Now, we've had a few people off uh, the temper text line saying, please play that Jason McCartney interview. Uh, there's one text here saying it brought, or it brings a tingle down my spine. I think it's a shiver down your spine, but uh, we know what you mean. Let's have a listen to uh, Jason McCartney after his, uh, well, his comeback game, which turned out to be his last, against Richmond in round 11, 2003 at uh, well, what was then Colonial Stadium. Yeah, I suppose uh, this is no better time than uh, I think I've used up every inch of uh, my determination through my fitness and uh, I suppose mental effort and uh, 
I find it fitting now that I'll uh, hang the boots up as of tonight and go out on a great note. Because I'm spent. It's been a tough time, but that's enough for me, mate. Yeah, what a fantastic moment. I remember seeing the scenes of his uh, wife in the crowd uh, in tears. It was an amazingly emotional year for North Melbourne, that one. That game came about four or five weeks after the uh, famous uh, Wayne Carey versus Anthony Stevens match. Another big Friday night game. Uh, all that tension. Uh, Wayne Carey playing against North. A couple of times, uh, Anthony Stevens and Wayne Carey came together. So in the base, space of four or five weeks, North Melbourne uh, under Dean Laidley had uh, a couple of really emotional games. They got beaten pretty convincingly convincingly by Adelaide in that game, but uh, they won uh, against Richmond in a thriller. And, uh, yeah, certainly one of the great moments in AFL uh, footy uh, to see Jason McCartney come back. Just a couple of others off the temper text line. Tiger Woods at the Masters last year. Yeah, that was certainly a great comeback from, uh, you know, career-threatening back injuries uh, for Tiger Woods. And this is an interesting one. Now, I hate, hate, hate Queensland Jules, but when Wayne Bennett got Alfie Langer to literally come back from England for the third Origin game and steer those bloody Barones to a series win in 2001, now that was not a bad comeback. And that comes from a very passionate New South Wales fan, Chris in Batemans Bay. So you're listening to the Captain's Run. Uh, plenty of great guests coming up, but after the break, We'll just touch base with Brett Phillips. He's been all over the Australian Open story. Just when will the tournament get underway? We'll check in with Brett after the break. Welcome back to the captain's run. Julian DeStoop filling in for Kane Corns. Just listening to some of the ads there. Of course, Black Friday today. Could you think of anything worse on a beautiful summer's day than going to the shops today? So they will be absolutely packed. Christmas less than a month away, uh, all the big sales. But uh, I think I'd rather be spending it at home uh, watching the cricket, which I'm sure a lot of audi- our audience would. Now, one man I'm sure will be keeping an eye on the cricket today, and he's been all over just what's going to happen with the Australian Open in terms of when it is going to start is our very own Brett Phillips, who joins us on the line. Brett, thanks for your time. Yeah, Jules, good morning. Good to speak to you. Before we get stuck into the Australian Open, we've been talking about uh, sporting comebacks today, ones that have worked at ones that haven't on the back of Mike Tyson returning to the ring. Tennis has been a great sport uh, for comebacks. We've mentioned a couple that have uh, worked. Uh, Kim Clijsters, one that hasn't worked, uh, Beyond Borg. What are a couple of memories you got in terms of uh, tennis players that have come out of retirement for good or for bad? Yeah, uh, yeah great, great question. Uh, um Oh, look, and then, and then lead it with it. It's a pl- pretty uh, loose word, uh, retirement, I've got to say, in, in, in tennis. And there's a lot of players who have got, you know, two careers. Like one that just springs to mind off the top of my head is, you know, Martina Hingis, uh, Jules. I mean, she was a teen sensation and did all these unbelievable things uh, before the age of 20, you know, winning majors. And then, you know, she uh, walked away from the sport and then, you know, came back. Uh, what her, uh, her early 30s, um, you know, obviously predominantly on the doubles court, but had amazing success. I think she won about, you know, 10 WTA titles. She won majors. There's just one in tennis I can think off the top of my head. Uh, it's probably someone who should never have probably retired in the first place, uh, but came back and showed us um, why she was such a such a champion. Did I read the other day that Marcelo Rios is coming back? Yeah, there's a little uh, little, uh, little story floating around then. Um yeah, he uh, he wasn't the most popular player when he played <laughs> uh, the uh, the Chilean, the lefty. Um, he yeah rose uh, unbelievably through the sport um, unexpectedly. But yeah, it's look. I think they're encouraged now a lot of these tennis players because of the fact that so many are playing uh, deeper into their thirties. 
And, and look, we see our very own John Millman. I mean, he might be ready to peak uh, and, and get into that top 20 or, you know, top 30 at least. And he's 31 playing his best tennis right now. So I think a few are encouraged to maybe come back and still play. And, and the Bucks are, are pretty good if you can um, if you can be pretty competitive. Absolutely. Uh, Brett, you've done a wonderful job uh, covering all the latest developments uh, with the Australian Open. As we mentioned off the top of the show today, it's, it's a good feeling around Melbourne. 28 days now uh, without a COVID case. What's the latest been in the last uh, 24 hours? Has there been any movement in terms of a, a potential starting date for the tournament? Yeah, well, just some information I've got, Jules, that's been sent by the ATP to the playing group. And I imagine the WTA would be doing you know, something uh, very similar to the uh, the women's playing group. But what they've been told, the players, uh, the 14-day quarantine period with the ability to practice, and I certainly mentioned that a couple of days ago on SCN that uh, I believe that window is January 7 to 21, and they've been advised here... Um, with the ability to practice likely to start on the 8th of January. So players would be advised to travel in the days leading up. But they've been told strictly at the moment, do not book any travel until all this is uh, totally ratified. There's going to be obviously strict um, limitations on the number of people they can bring in. And we're still looking at either that one or two week um, uh, delay. So either the 25th of January or the 1st of Feb. So obviously at the moment, and you can imagine how deep these talks are, they're they're looking at obviously the COVID-19 protocols, the close contact procedures, player support teams and how many... Um, how many will be allowed to be brought by each player and they're hoping by the start of December which is Tuesday that the full ATP calendar for the first quarter of 2021 because there's going to be movement with lots of tournaments not just the Australian Open just considering how um, how the pandemic is still you know, prevalent, particularly in Europe and the United States. So they'll hopefully release that first quarter of the calendar uh, by the start of December. So we're getting close to Jules, but you know, that's the latest info I have of what the players, how they've been kept up to date. Yeah, 13,000 cases in Sweden in just the last three days. So as you could say, a worldwide sport like tennis, there's going to be a lot of shuffling of schedules. Uh, next, you just give us an idea of, I mean, we're, obviously we're focusing on, on the players and the protocols for them and obviously their support teams. But a Grand Slam tournament is such a big operation in terms of media and all the volunteers and the ball boys and the linesmen and all the people that work at Melbourne Park to get this tournament up and going and as great as it is. So just can you give us sort of a snapshot of how difficult logistically this must be to work out when you take in all the people that are involved in a Grand Slam tournament? Yeah, it's massive. I, I suppose for anyone that's in the event planning business who organises a one-day event or a week event or a two-week event, I mean, often this is, you know, a year in the planning. Um, you know, particularly for an Australian Open over two weeks, it's uh, it's something they work on basically from the the last date of the previous Australian Open to the, the start of the next one. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of planning and considering how big the site has become at Melbourne Park and how many people are involved in you know, just uh, operationally running the tournament, it's huge. And suddenly, you know, you shift that by a couple of weeks. And obviously there's been a lot of commentary this week around, well, gee, the kids will be back, you know, to school and and people will be back uh, from summer holidays, back to work. And all the people who like, you know, a lot of drivers, a lot of the courtesy drivers driving those magnificent Kia cars, Jules. I mean, they're, a lot of them are school teachers yeah. who are, you know, uh, back in their normal sort of day-to-day jobs. So Tennis Australia will find a way to get around all that. Um, so that's how big it is. Just the moving of dates not only affects the rest of the tennis calendar, but obviously it's in that perfect time slot here in Melbourne for not only um, uh, the spectators, but also you know all the people that are part of the tournament, uh, many of them, many of them volunteers. 
Yeah, we've seen quite a few of the players commenting on just, you know, how they think it'll play out at the Australian Open and, and you know, how it'll work for them. If, if the scenario that you painted before in terms of they'll get a couple of weeks to, you know, they're in quarantine but they can practice and the tournament's only delayed by a week or two, do you think most will be comfortable with that situation? As long as they can practice, that's been the sticking point. That's My understanding is that that was the non-negotiable from the ATP. So everyone's obviously weighing in with what they want. The government being pretty strong about how they, they want it to run. Tennis Australia's got their plan. Then they've got to consult with the tours uh, who are, you know, on the ATP's case, I mean, the ATP is is part governed by the players and the tournaments. It's a really interesting governing structure. So the players have a very strong voice at the negotiating table and there's no way they're going to cop uh, and people can say they're princesses and, you know, whatever the, whatever the what adjective you want to use, but uh, there's no way they're going to cop sitting in a hotel room and not being able to practice for two weeks. So that has been the part that's dragged this out, trying to find the middle ground of how that's all going to work. Um, can they cop not having a lead-up tournament? Probably. They'd like one. Uh, but, you know, if, if they can at least practice and get some uh, practice sets, match simulation in uh, and feel ready physically, then clearly they can hit the ground running and play a grand slam. So that, that's been the key sticking point. And my understanding is that, in principle, has been agreed to. I mean, at times, tennis players can be criticised for being a bit too precious. But for me, like, I'm interested to see how you feel about this. Clearly, it's it's unreasonable to expect players to come out here, sit in a hotel room for two weeks and not practice, and then go out and play a Grand Slam tournament where they could be playing on court for hours and hours and hours. Is that is that sort of the general feel? Yep. Or do you think some people will go, well, hang on, you're still playing. Just It's tough conditions, but but get over it. Well, at the end of the day, look, um, you know, they're, they're athletes who need to prepare for a really grueling tournament. So, look, there's probably, you know, there's no doubt, Jules, those at the, the more top end of the sport probably are pampered a little too much. But there is a lot of players who are just struggling to meet, um, you know, struggling to make ends meet, basically. And this is the other key point that hasn't been signed off is the Australian Open qualifying tournament. Uh, that is a still TBC at the moment because it obviously brings in another 256 players plus entourages. But the qualifying is so important here because these players have been starved of earning opportunities uh, last year. And to get into qualies, to make it to the first round, I mean, you're getting $60,000 in your pocket. So for a lot of these players who are battling away, it's a chance to just put some money in their pocket at the start of the year and and pay their way uh, on the road. So I know that's a sticking point. So if the qualies does get ticked off, that's when I think we definitely have a Feb 1 uh, start. So you allow that 10 days from the end of quarantine for uh, a lead-up event of some sort for players, plus the, the qualifying event uh, to take place. So, yeah, a lot of these players, you know, they're, they're battling away. They just yeah. want to... Um, I just want to come and earn. And they might they might be a little less precious. They probably, Some of them, Jules, probably would sit in a hotel room for two weeks if they knew they were coming to a place that was pretty safe and they can um, they can earn some income. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, we yeah, we focus on the big names at the top of the sport, but you're right. There is some that are battling away that desperately need to get out there and play and start earning some money. Uh, Brett, thanks for your time. You've been all over this story and uh, we'll look forward to your latest update uh, very shortly. Yeah, thanks, Jules. Have a good show. And, of course, you can hear Brett Phillips on the first serve thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your open space specialist, celebrating 25 years. Find out more at glgcorp.com.
Com. Uh, after the break, we'll take more of your calls on great sporting comebacks or villains that have turned you around. one 736 736 A reminder, the best caller of the day. 18 holes of golf for two, thanks to Club Mandalay, a must-play course in Melbourne's north. You're listening to The Captain's Run. Welcome back to The Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in for Kane Corns. A couple of interesting temper text off the back of that interview with Brett Phillips about the tennis players. It's an interesting one. Just gives you an idea of the how complex this issue is. Uh, Pakistan cricket team is in New Zealand and six of, of its members have tested positive for COVID. That's the big issue Oz Open is facing, regaining bringing in players from hotspots. And another one, get over it. These guys get paid well. And we've had to put up hotel with the hotel quarantine schmozzle. And these princesses can't play for millions of dollars in difficult conditions. Then we get the media backing them up. Good one. What a joke. Grow a set, put up and shut up, Sooks. Same with the people who don't let them have it. Well, as Brett said, it they're not all earning millions of dollars. Some of these players are, are just trying to earn a living out there and... Uh, you know, they would play under all sorts of conditions. Uh, Mario in Ivanhoe wants to have a quick chat about Brett Phillips as well. G'day, Mario. Uh, yeah, g'day, uh, Julian. Uh, look, I was listening with interest to you and Brett, uh, and I get it, mate. Uh, everybody's sympathetic to, to what's happening, but uh, I, you know, would put my voice to people who text you. Look, we've just gone through a really difficult period in Victoria. The community as a whole has paid, in some cases, a shocking price for this, you know, losing family members. Just sorry, Murray, hold on for us. We'll continue this uh, call after the news. We've just got to get to the newsroom uh, with Meredith Gibbs, but hang on, we'll take you straight after 10 o'clock. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in from for Kane Corns. A big second hour coming up. Very shortly, we'll speak to Port Melbourne coach Gary Ayres. Also in this hour, Liam Santamaria to talk all things uh, NBL and all the things happening uh, in the NBA in their trade period over there. A lot of movement going on, a lot of big names uh, swatching, uh, switching clubs. A reminder too, after 11, we'll speak to soon-to-be Sydney Swan, uh, Errol Goulden. He's part of their Swans Academy and will be picked up in the draft uh, early next month. Trent Copeland will give us a big preview of the summer of cricket, which of course starts today with Australia and India, the first of the one-day internationals uh, at the SCG. And Ben Damon from Fox Sports will give us a preview on this much-talked-about, uh, I was going to say highly anticipated, not sure everyone's highly anticipating this fight between uh, 250-year-old or men that were great boxers in their day, uh, now over 50, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. But uh, before we had to get to the news, we had to unfortunately cut Mario from Ivanhoe short, but he's been good enough to hold on the line. Uh, Mario, apologies for that. Uh, you wanted to make a point about the tennis. Yeah, uh, look, I was just in the middle of making a point that the community as a whole has paid a very great price in terms of sacrifice. A lot of people have lost their jobs or uh, going back to reduce working conditions. Uh, other people have paid the ultimate price by losing family members. So, look, I think if, what, the community, because we've paid such a great price, I think it's important to recognise that where we've failed in the past has been in situations with respect to hotel quarantines. Now, you've got to bring it... My understanding is... The players are coming out, and with their entourages and so on, you're going to bring around a 1,000 people. Now, I might be wrong in that, but I've, I've read that somewhere. Yeah, that'd be about right. And it, seems, it seems to me that if, it's, if, it's, if that's going to be the case and they want to practice and so on, you've got, you're going to have local drivers taking them back and forth. If there's, in, in a cohort of 1,000 people coming from hotspots, hot it's a statistical certainty that people are going to arrive here with COVID. 
absolutely a statistical certainty. And therefore, because they're going to be uh, interacting with locals, uh, doing all sorts of things, I think we should have a strict lockdown policy. If they need to practice, we'll get them here one week earlier. The Indians came out here. I know their entourage wouldn't be as big. They copped a two-week quarantine without any fanfare. And I believe that uh, the... Uh, Tennis is important to the economy of Victoria, but the health of Victorians is more important, and we should have a priority. And whatever needs to be done to have people do a strict two-week quarantine should be uh, enforced. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not the only one who thinks that way, but I don't want to sound negative about it. But you know, we've come too far yeah. to let all this ride and, and be undermined uh, because a few people don't want to don't want to stay, spend two weeks in a hotel room. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. And look, as, as Brett has said, there's no doubt that if the tournament... Well, we expect the tournament to go ahead. There's no doubt there will be a two-week quarantine period for these players. And uh, what the players are calling for is the fact that, a bit similar to what happened at the US Open, you quarantine and you just get shipped uh, to and from uh, the practice courts. And I, I think it's a bit unreasonable to expect players to sit in a hotel room for two weeks, not have any real physical exercise in terms of tennis play, uh, practice sessions and go out in such a physical tournament that a Grand Slam is uh, in hot temperatures to play. But no doubt there's going to be a two-week quarantine period and, and what the players are asking is just the fact that they, they can practice. So let's hope that is the situation. But you're right, it's a delicate situation. Uh, that's why the government and uh, Craig Tiley and all the tennis officials are working really closely to make sure they get this right because, as you say, while we've got on top in Australia of COVID really well, it is out of control in some parts of Europe. And as we know, the numbers in the United States are are really bad as well. So it's it's a really delicate situation that uh, they've just got to make sure they get right. Uh, you're 100% right. Uh, Mario, thank you so much for holding on. We'll, uh, we'll give you 18 holes of golf for two, uh, thanks to Club Mandalay, a must-play course uh, in Melbourne's north. So enjoy that game of golf. And, and once again, uh, thanks for holding on. Let's go to Nick in Hoppers Crossing, who also wants to talk about the tennis. G'day, Nick. Hey, Jules. First time I've spoken to you, but I've heard you a lot, and um, I've seen you on telly, so... You're pretty good in that, in that regard. Oh, thank so you, Nick. Good Appreciate it. To you. you too. No worries. Yeah, what I wanted to say, Victoria, please, let's let's calm down. Cool down. Calm down the situation. Okay, we know what's going on with the tennis. Just cool down for, for a moment. We understand what happened. We're, it, we're in the situation that we are because of stupid, uh, stupid um, state government, what they did. Okay, that's in the past now. What they should do, they delay a week or two, whatever it is, the players can have the two weeks quarantine, not a problem. They need to practice. They're not animals. They're not the human beings. They need to practice two weeks. And they have the quarantine. They can practice going in and out from the hotel to and from, like they had in the States. Don't have an issue. But if, if, if some don't like it, they don't come. And also, we have um, masseurs here. We have massage therapists and all that. They don't they need a big entourage or whatever. And also, they can say, oh, oh, my wife's coming with two, three kids. Cut that out. You can reduce it that way. If the player's coming here to play, if there's an emergency, oh, I want my wife to come here, or I want my husband to come here. That's another issue. We need to reduce things like that. But, but have them sit in a, in a hotel room for, for 14 days, that's like you're in the prison. Come on. That, even even in the, with the hub in the AFL we had in Brisbane, they, they weren't like that, were they? They, they, they practiced here and there when yeah. they could. But, but they couldn't go out. They had their dinner and all the, at the hotel. I don't have a problem. It was me personally or you or whatever. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I'll stay at a hotel, go for a little bit of swimming at the pool, 
have a, have a sort of cool lunch and then train a little bit, come back, talk with the other players, whatever, and that's it. And then when the tournament happens, they've, they've, they've prepared themselves and they're ready. And that's it. They don't have an issue. But for people to have a go at them, oh, it's really strict. It's this, okay, we understand what happened. We know where we are. But we can't sort of look, stay, sit, in, sit, in the, sit in the um house and say, oh, we can't have sport. We can't have this. We can't have that. You, you can't be like that. Life has to start coming along. It starts, starts moving along a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a really good point, Nick. And uh, I think what you say about the athletes is right. And any comparison to the AFL, I don't think we would expect our AFL players to, uh, you know, it, as you say, with the quarantine and the hubs they had in uh, Queensland, I don't think we'd expect them to come out and play every week if they couldn't get out and have a run around uh, during the week and prepare. And that's the same uh, for our tennis players. And look, it'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of support staff for players. I think there's no doubt there'll be a restriction on uh, the amount of support staff uh, you could have. And uh, I'm sure Brett Phillips will give us those updates uh, in the next uh, week or so. But you're right. That's the thing about the tennis. It's not just the players. There's so many people involved in their teams and so many people uh, that get the tournament uh, going down there at Melbourne Park. We're talking about thousands of people that are on site uh, every day. And that's why it is such a a delicate balance. Now, uh, just before we get to our first guest, uh, now, if you're a big NFL fan and you don't want to know the scores, as they used to say on Channel 7, look away now or uh, cover your ears. There's a big... Thanksgiving game going on at the moment. Uh, a live score in the NFL. Washington, 17, lead the Dallas Cowboys, 10. Uh, but we're not too far away from our first guest. Well, there's plenty of changes uh, in the VFL next year. A new name for the competition, uh, new coaches. But one thing that won't be changing is that Gary Ayres will be in charge of Port Melbourne. And next year will become just the fifth man in the competition to bring up 250 games as coach. And Gary's been good enough to join us this morning. Gary, thanks for your time. No worries, Jules. Hope you're well. Going beautifully. It's a great day. 28 days uh, without a corona case here in uh, Victoria. How's it all looking uh, in terms of Port Melbourne, in terms of getting your list together, getting the boys back training, just exactly where are you at at the moment? Yeah, we're progressing along reasonably well, Jules. We're trying to do as much as we possibly can in relation to getting our list sorted. Uh, obviously, we've gone through the situation where we've got to talk to players and, of course, from a recruiting point of view. And whenever you talk to players and you tell them that who have been on your list that uh, things just haven't worked out. That's always a tough conversation to have, but I've always felt you have to be honest anyway. We're still waiting for a few more protocols to be ticked off for us to return to training. So we may be able to sort of get together on a, I guess, an optional basis, perhaps in a couple of weeks, and then that would take us up to Christmas. And then we're hoping that maybe around mid-January, possibly a little bit later, depending on when we get confirmation when the season will kick off. We've sort of heard that it might be around mid to late April, but we're still unsure. So we've still just got to make sure we're ticking all the right boxes. But look, I've been pretty happy. There's been a lot of young gentlemen who have come off AFL lists who are keen to stay at the VFL level and try and play at the highest level they can or maybe get back into the AFL. So yeah, there's a little bit to do and getting my coaching staff all sorted and yeah, just everyone is so, so keen as you can imagine. 
to get back into doing some sort of footy. Yeah, you've obviously signed Fletcher Roberts, uh, the Western Bulldogs uh, Premiership player. I was just going to ask you that. I mean, obviously, there's at least sizes have shrunk in the AFL, so there's a lot of uh, ex-AFL players that uh, are looking for an opportunity. And by the sound of your last answer, there's there's a, certainly a couple that have expressed an interest uh, with Port Melbourne as well. Yeah, that's right, Jules, and that's great for us. Look, we think we're a destination club, and I guess we've certainly had a lot of sustained success over the journey. We've made 11 out of the last uh, 12 years of finals, and there's been four grand final appearances in that time and seven prelims and a couple of flags. And I think that says a fair bit about the environment, the culture, the people are the culture as far as I'm concerned. And the guys like Fletcher Roberts, that's just a wonderful get for us. We identified some needs as well after we got beaten by Richmond in the 2019 prelim. And that's really the, the game, I guess, that you sit down, even though it's been so long ago, and you say, look, where can we improve? So we, we got quite selective. And Fletcher's an AFL Premiership player, so he's going to add a lot of worth to us. He's a big lad, and he does hold down that key position very, very well. We're probably a little bit surprised that he's no longer at the Dogs, but that happens. Paddy Kerr is a young key forward out of uh, Carlton. He was going to play in the VAFA with uh, St Kevin's. But of course, as we all know, no season got underway. So there is a bit of a connection there too with Paddy. His cousin is a, a champ of the footy club in Ryan Shooter McMahon. So if you had a said to me that we'd get a, a key back and a key forward, you'd certainly be pretty happy. And we've added a couple of others, a, a big-bodied midfielder by the name of Liam McKenna, who was on Essendon's uh, VFL list. So, yeah, we're slowly assembling the areas that we think we need to improve. And the other good thing is that the majority of our boys in 2019 have re-signed as well. So that gives us a lot of positivity that we are on the right track. And, again, we'll be pushing as hard as we always do, Jules, for um, hopefully another premiership. So when you do uh, get the boys all back together, you've obviously got... uh some new rules to coach them, particularly around uh, these zones. It was a bit of a hot talking point last week. Hurt Mark Williams was pretty disappointed. There was no consultation with him. Uh, what was your reaction when you when you heard the news that uh, the, this new rule in particular with the zones is going to be trialled uh, in the competition next year? It was probably one of interest, to be honest, Jules. You obviously see these things that are going to be potentially trialled. And look, I'd be really, really keen to sit down with the powers that be and actually get them to explain to me what the reasoning is behind it. I certainly have no issue at all that the VFL can be used as a environment that could trial these things. Look, I'm a big believer in that if we can make our great game even better or greater, then I'm all for it. And we don't want to be jumping at shadows. We haven't seen anything at all to see how it would look. I'd be very, very keen to get our boys to obviously trial it, train for it at, at training. And we've certainly got a few months to be able to put some things together. And I guess we wouldn't have done a lot of things throughout the course of history, Jules, if we sat back and said, we don't want to change. So, look, I'm pretty keen to see how it looks. But as I said, I'd love to sit down with the powers that be and I guess just get the reasoning or the thinking or why they want to do it. And then you can obviously make a better assessment. And once we put it into training, well, then, hey, it could be one of the best things that you could see. But, again, time will tell. And the VFL has used a couple of rules in the past, and I think the majority of those have actually worked out pretty well. And it puts a little bit more attention on the VFL and any publicity that we can get and people are getting to be able to come through the gates and our crowds are bigger and there's a little bit more interest. That can only be good for uh, what is no doubt going to be the biggest 
second-tier competition outside the AFL. Does the lack of consultation frustrate you, though? I mean, there's some great football brains in the VFL yourself, Mark Williams. I know Andy Collins is he's moved to Box Hill now, but there's so many good, experienced people in the VFL in coaching ranks. Do you get annoyed that they don't they don't consult with you? I don't get annoyed. I guess you've probably got to try and work out, well, there'd be that many people that would have to be consulted from a higher being. And, of course, I'm talking about the AFL in that regard and all the different and bodies. But I think, by and large, in the changes this year, we at Port have been kept up to date. Yes, things haven't obviously come through as quickly as we would like. But, gee whiz, I think making decisions this year would have been extremely difficult. So... I think from our point of view at Port Melbourne, by and large, we've been okay. Uh, I was told a little bit earlier that day that there was possibly going to be a new rule that would come in. And and again, I'm just one that looks at the situation being half full, as in the old glass, rather than half empty. So again, we do sometimes struggle a little bit for publicity and exposure. And if if this can bring something better to our VFL competition, then I think it can only be good. Do you think the rule in itself and putting in zones is something not just for the VFL, but we need for the game? What, I mean, what's your overall take on the game at the moment? It's such a high-level high debate whether the game's going well, does it need major surgery, a few tink, just a few things tinkered with. What, what's your view on, on how footy's travelling at the moment? Yeah, I think it's just been something that needs to be tinkered with just a little bit. Obviously, when we looked at the games this year, there were, as there always is, there is some good games and there's not so good games. It certainly went pretty quick with, obviously, the shortened quarters, but we understand why that was going to be the case because we really needed the season to be played. And again, there was a lot of times there, I guess, over the season that I thought that wasn't going to happen. But you look at the night grand final, that's another example of trying these things. So I think the game's in not too bad a shape. Look, I love watching footy anyway, so maybe I'm a, <laughs> a little bit biased anyway. And our, our competition that we need is very much to be vibrant. It's got to have some sort of credibility. I'm obviously talking about the VFL here, and there's been a lot of change financially, as we've sort of touched on with the list sizes changing and salary caps being cut in half at VFL level and obviously the soft cap at... AFL level and of course list changes there being a little bit small so again I think the game's going along okay what Gil McLaughlin did this year to get the game up and going with all the people that helped him was just nothing short of probably a miracle really there was that and obviously the NRL as we know so no I think it's going okay and again I'm on about attacking footy I like to see goals scored and we don't want to be playing just a defensive, boring game that it's just really a little bit like the old footy we did in the schoolyard, just kick the kick. So, again, happy to see it, to have more goals scored, and I guess we're probably a little bit biased here too, Jules, because the era that I came from, there wasn't a lot of high scoring, and it was only really if you had those terrible games where the ground was muddy and wet and all that sort of stuff, and there was no indoor stadium. So, yeah, no, I'm all for change and hoping if it does add a little bit more to scores. And funnily enough, back in 2011, we used to have a few little set plays that uh, the AFL were thinking about bringing into the VFL, especially the one from the kick-ins. We wouldn't put three players inside our forward 50 on the kick-ins, but we'd go with one or two. So maybe it gets back to uh, what's old is new again, mate. So um, (laughs) 
we end up winning the premiership that year. So who knows? You're ahead of the game. So you're not you're not of the theory. I mean, there's been a few once those it was announced last week that some of those rules would be trialed in the VFL. But you know, some were suggesting it's it's making a bit of a mockery of the competition. It it, it hurts the integrity of the competition. But you don't see it that way. No, I don't, Jules. As I said, I would rather look at the positive side of it. And again, it's very interesting that people can jump at shadows. And I think there is a little knee-jerk reaction. And that's change whenever we talk about that word anyway or we see it. So, And we, again, we've had no training sessions. We've not even looked at it from a playing point of view. I've got to get my head around how I can best utilise it. And as you find too... Coaches and players are pretty adaptable. So, again, let's not get uh, too excited about it just yet. Let's sit down with the people, as I'm suggesting, see what their reasoning and thinking is behind it. Let's have a look at it from a training perspective and let's have a look at it from a game perspective and then we can really make a valued assessment from that point of view. You were on breakfast uh, a few weeks ago with uh, Gary and Tim, and it was at the time when uh, you know there was a debate about who the North Melbourne New North Melbourne coach will be and who they will speak to. Uh, did, did North Melbourne reach out to you at all? No, they didn't, and I guess rightly or wrongly, I probably felt over the journey that if there's an opportunity for people to see what your worth is in an industry and and what you're doing that they would make uh, the contact. So, no, I didn't have any conversations with them at all, Jules. Did it surprise you they didn't reach out to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not at all, mate. There's uh, been a lot of, I guess, opportunities over the time since I've been out of a, a full-time job in the AFL, and you get pretty used to it, mate. So, no, I didn't lose any sleep over it, put it that way. <laughs> Are you feeling there's a shift, though? I mean, Chris Fagan, obviously now David Noble. Uh, Brett Ratton was given another chance where there was a long time there where we didn't see many coaches that have uh, coached at a, one club getting a chance at another club. Is it? Do you feel there's a shift shift there with uh, some of these appointments? Well, perhaps. Uh, Brett Ratton, there was all that talk that he was obviously out of the game from a head coaching role a little bit too early with the job that he'd done at Carlton, and of course, he's then gone to Hawthorne, and that would have been just an amazing experience to then work under Alistair Clarkson because we know how successful he's been. Chris Fagan has come in and done a wonderful job with the Brisbane Lions, and of course, they've played finals the last couple of years, and they're obviously won one final and would expect to be better again next year, as all clubs would be anyway. And of course, then the end now, David Noble. So maybe there is a little bit of a shift, and you know, age is only a number, it shouldn't be stamped on your CV that you can never get an opportunity and again we would all very much feel and I'm certainly an advocate for this that you're a better coach for doing it the second time around whether that would be a Michael Voss or or whoever and again I've been coaching for 26 years now and the coaching environment has changed enormously and I think probably the one thing that has changed from a coaching point of view to a player is that you've got to be much more positive about how you work with the individuals that you've got available and the most valuable assets that you've got at a footy club, I've always believed, are your players. And I think positivity, the relationship building and the communication that you use with the, with the players, I think they're probably three things that, again, all good coaches tend to have. And uh, David Noble's probably been a little bit more global, as I call it, with working in administration and management, also to coaching a bit earlier. So, yes, 
I'm sure North Melbourne think it's the right appointment. I was going to ask you about that, just what you touched on there about uh, the relationship building. David Noble said on Monday with Bob and Andy that you're almost more of a manager now than you are a coach. Is, is that how you see it? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And again, at my level, we've only got the boys at a part-time situation, maybe a couple of times a week that they might end up coming to the club. And then you've obviously got them on a weekend when we play. So the ability to understand, to really get to know them from a point of view of obviously we know that they're there as footballers, but they're also two people. And the sacrifices that they make, a lot of them in my situation, they will train two nights a week and then they've got to work back because they have to make up the hours that they've took off to get to uh, or take off to get to training. Uh, some boys work uh, also two part-time and then go to university. So, yeah, they've got to be able to compartmentalise all the, all the things that matter the most, I think, in their life. And for me, families first and foremost, then obviously it's going to be your career, whether it's study or work. And then, of course, it's whatever sporting career you take. I think they're the three most important things. And if you can compartmentalise those and we as coaches understand those areas, then I think it works fairly well. And you know, my role primarily is just to make sure that they've got clarity about what they do with their role from a match day point of view, be able to give them advice, be able to just be part of their lives for however long they're at a footy club. And I make myself available all the time. There's an open door policy at Port Melbourne and I just see and, and have nothing better as a feeling that I've seen boys win premierships or play in finals or get drafted. And it just gives me so much joy. And I'm so proud of the boys that I've been able to coach for the, the last 13 years at Port Melbourne, Jules. It's a wonderful organisation. Uh, what these boys have done consistently to have that sustained success. They play against the heavyweights of the competition almost every second week. But we truly believe we we can be winners and we can beat any opposition. And, yeah, it's just been remarkable when you think about some of the things that have gone in relation to what the boys at Port Melbourne have achieved. So, yeah, I think they're all pretty important. And um, I delegate my training to my coaches and then that gives me even more time to spend with my players as well. And, again, I believe if they're happy off the field, Jules, they'll be happy on the field. Yeah, it's a great milestone for you next year as well, Gary. 250 games uh, in the competition. Sounds like you're building another exciting list at Port Melbourne in 2021. Now, have a fantastic Christmas. I'm sure we'll touch base uh, in the new year. And, uh, obviously, uh, good luck when you get the boys finally back together. Uh, good on you, Jules. Much appreciated, mate. And same to you and your family. And stay well. Thank you, Gary. Gary is the Port Melbourne coach. Have you got any thoughts on what Gary had to say there about the VFL, uh, the future of uh, senior coaching? Uh, give us a call, one 736 736 This is the captain's run. Uh, in the world of basketball, both here and abroad, and now we've been good enough to be joined by Liam Santamaria from the NBL and also ESPN Australia. Liam, thanks for your time. No worries, Jules. Good to be with you. Just let's start with the fresh news of the day that's been reported uh, by Olgan Ulich that another Aussie, uh, Brisbane Bullet, Will Magnes, set to join the Pelicans, which is uh, very exciting for him, hooking up with Zion Williamson. Uh, just tell us a bit more about this and uh, just how he'll fit in over there at New Orleans. Yeah, it's massive news, isn't it? Uh, straight out of the NBL, he had a, a breakout season with the Bullet last year, the, uh, the young Queenslander, and um, ended up the most improved player in the NBL. He was top three in defensive player of the year and 
and best six man voting and uh, garnered a whole bunch of NBA attention. We know there were enormous uh, NBA eyeballs on our league last season with LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton here. And Will Magna is one of the guys who has cashed in. So uh, he had attention and interest from a bunch of different NBA teams and has been working through the process of deciding where would be his best landing spot. And he's landed on the New Orleans Pelicans. So they're finalizing the terms of their deal. It's going to be a two-way contract, um, which will, you know, traditionally sees players split their time between the NBA club and, and their G League affiliate. But this year, with so much uncertainty around the G League, those, those players are going to spend a lot more time with their NBA team. So a great situation for him. He's going to go to a, you know, really um, smart New Orleans program. They're, they're um, front office. Um, has a keen eye on on the NBL. They've got one of their guys, Didi Luzada, here with the with the Sydney Kings. So they love the NBL. They love Will Magne, and he's gonna he's gonna slide in that they've just uh, they've just obtained Stephen Adams, the big Kiwi yep. from the Oklahoma City Thunder, the um, the Pelicans. So Magne will have a chance to learn under him and uh, block Zion Williamson's dunk attempts at practice and have a whole bunch of fun in his first year in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, it's great news uh, for young Will and another, as you say, a ringing endorsement uh, for the NBL. We heard earlier this week uh, on uh, Breakfast, uh, Aaron Baines, who's moved to Toronto. Um, what will he bring to the Raptors? Well, he'll bring a big presence on the interior. Um, and uh, it's a great signing for them and, and a terrific landing spot for him because you know that's a team, obviously, that... You know, still has a bunch of really good talent on their roster. They won the championship not too long ago and have a you know, really smart head coach, but they've lost a few big pieces um, from their front line in Serge Ibaka and, and Marcus Gasol. So they needed a big body, a veteran guy who can come in, set picks, get on the glass and uh, you know, catch lobs around the rim and finish plays. He can also pick and pop and knock the three ball down now, Aaron Baines. So a great opportunity for him. A nice deal, two years around 20 million Australian bucks. So uh, great result for him. And uh, I really like that as a landing spot for him in Toronto. Plenty going on at Ben Simmons' Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Dwight Howard coming in. Also another Aussie, Ryan Brockoff, getting another shot. Yeah, great news for uh, for Brockoff. He um, was at Dallas uh, in recent times, but had a bit of an injury. And he was actually set to join the Philadelphia 76ers in the bubble. Um, but... Um, he, he he didn't end up going due to due to family reasons. So their interest in him obviously continued, and um, they've given him a a one year deal. Now it's a it's a non guaranteed deal, so he's going to need to go into training camp, play well, and you know solidify his spot on the roster. So not for certain that he's going to be with that team throughout the year, but he certainly has his his foot in the door and. Um, you know, I'm confident he'll be able to knock a whole bunch of shot down, shots down at training camp and and uh, nail in that spot. So another great result for another uh, high-level Aussie in the NBA. bit closer to home. And as you mentioned, uh, you, you touched on before, uh, the huge interest from the States with RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball. And there was talk that LaMelo was potentially going to buy in uh, to the Hawks at one stage. But we've seen John Wall, uh, one of the NBA superstars, this week, get involved with the South East Melbourne Phoenix. Tell us a bit more about that and uh, casting our eyes forward. Surely he'll come out here and play a couple of games towards the end of his career, won't he? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, yeah, still a very high-level player. A five-time All-Star, John Wall. So very cool to have him buy into the South East Melbourne Phoenix. And 
Um, they are putting together a, a fascinating ownership group. They're obviously uh, their majority owner, Romy Chowdhury, a, a businessman in the States, but so heavily connected in the NBA. And he's brought on board Josh Childress, Al Harrington, our former All-Star Zach Randolph, Dante Exum, who's obviously still playing with the Cleveland Cavaliers, is on board, and now John Wall. So a bunch of former and, and current NBA players and um, joining uh, what is just a, a constantly growing list of NBA people uh, being a part of ownership in, in the uh, in the NBL. We saw Victor Oladipo, the Indiana Pacers guard, buy into the ownership group of the New Zealand Breakers recently, who already have Sean Marion and uh, Matt Walsh, their majority owners, the former NBA guy. So it's something that NBA players are, are looking to do, and we welcome their involvement. And, yeah, hopefully we can get some of them, including, you know, Dante, John Wall, these kind of guys, when they hang up the boots in the NBA can come out here while they've still got some game and step on the hardwood, that'd be nice. It's a good nickname, the Phoenix, but it's got nothing on the Jack Jumpers, the Tassie Jack Jumpers, which I think is a fantastic name. I know not everyone uh, loves it. Now, we know they're searching far and wide for a coach, and um, when do you think they'll look to finalise uh, bringing a coach in for their team for the season after? I would say probably their plan, what they've stated, is prior to Christmas. That's the timeline that they've put on it. I feel like that's that's probably realistic. It's it's a really key piece in the process for them um, because, you know, Simon Brookhouse, their, their new CEO, has been pretty forthright in saying, look, I'm not going to look to start to, to, to sign too many pieces of, of what will be our inaugural roster um, until we have a head coach yeah. in place because, really, it's going to be him or her that, um, wants to dictate that, and, and that's how he thinks it should be. So um, he said, look, if there were any um, you know, uh, absolute no-brainer signings, if, if a guy like Matthew Delavadova, for example, didn't have somewhere to play and he wanted to get involved for, for, for when they come into the league, sure. But they need to get their coach in place. Um, they're talking to a bunch of different people, uh, some here in Australia and, and some abroad, and um, you know, hoping to, to get something... Uh, tucked away, but of course they're not going to be in the league for this this season. Set to start in in mid January, they're they're getting their ducks in a row for the twenty one twenty two season when they'll make their debut. Now, I noticed you said him or her. There is there something that you know that we don't? Is oh it, no, it was just uh, on the back of some, some comments from um, Simon Brookhouse during the week when he said, "Look, um, you know, if we're not sort of uh, closing ourselves off to." to potentially becoming the first NBL team to have a female head coach. And you know, I'm not sure whether it was just in response to a direct question. So he was led into that comment um, per se, but you know, that's certainly the, you know, the, um, the, the attitude from them, which is great and, and only the right way to approach it because um, you know, we've seen female assistant coaches in our league where there's one currently in New Zealand. We've seen a couple before that. We've seen some females in the States um, certainly getting a look and, at some point, um, that's going to happen, and Tasmania said the Jack Jumpers haven't closed themselves off to, to potentially be in that team. And just finally, before I let you go, Liam, a couple of weeks ago, really strong you know, word out of the States that Russell Westbrook and James Harden both wanted to get out of Houston. Nothing's happened yet. Are you still expecting that one or both of those guys could still be on the move? I think the most likely scenario at the moment, Jules, is that they're probably going to have to roll into training camp. Um, the Rockets are obviously 
they've got all the leverage leverage in this situation. Those two guys are, are under contract for the next couple of years, and despite um, you know what they've leaked out or their camps have leaked out, despite their obvious discontent, um, they're under contract. And you know the Russell Westbrook contracts are a little bit difficult to trade, and you know James Harden's an MVP caliber player right now, right in his prime. So the Rockets aren't in, in any hurry to to make a move that doesn't make sense to them. And I think the most likely scenario is that when training camp tips off on December 1, those guys will be in the building and the Rockets will be looking to try to make it work. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting one to watch that one. So much happening uh, in the world of basketball right now. Uh, Liam, thanks so much for your time. Cheers, mate. Have a good day. The New Oh, well done, Johnny. Uh, a, lot, a long time before Errol's time was that song out from Australian court Crawl, and Errol's been good enough to join us uh, now from Sydney. Uh, Errol, thanks for your time on the show. Uh, I'm tipping you've probably heard that song a few times, or is that something completely new to you? No, that's, uh, thank you very much for having me, but no, nah, first time I've heard that, actually. Really? So... Uh, no, it's definitely not. I hear it uh, at least once a week. So. <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, so sorry, we couldn't be original for you. No, that's all good. I've uh, grown to love every word of that song, so it's all good. Now, before we get stuck into the interview, I just want to check something with you. I've read a couple of different things about your actual dimensions. Now, I've read 171 centimetres, 175 centimetres, 70 kilos, 75 kilos. What are you standing and weighing in at the moment? Uh, so the last time I was measured, I was 175.8 centimetres, and last time I jumped on the scales, I was 76. So, um, yeah, I know it can be a bit confusing. I see some of my measurements are actually from uh, when I was 16 in the under-16s <laughs> carnival, and some are updated. So, yeah, uh, that's what I'm uh, currently at. So, yeah. Yeah, so 176 and 76. So just tell us about your journey through the Swans Academy. We've seen some, you know, fantastic players uh, come out of the academy, Isaac Heaney, Callum Mills, and yourself and uh, your good mate, Braden Campbell, who will also be taken by the Swans in this year's draft. It's been, what, about six or seven years now you've been in the academy? Yeah, probably. Um, so I first trialled there when I was 10, so probably a little bit longer, Um yeah, so they just have open trials every year. And, um, you know, I went down when I was 10 and, and trialled and was lucky enough to um, be accepted in straight away. Um, and, uh, you know, in the younger years, you just have two training sessions a week and, um, you know, it's, that's away from club footy. So it's good to get a little bit of specialty coaching when you're younger. And I guess when you're younger, it's more focusing on the fundamentals rather than um, game plan and stuff like that. So really honing in your skills and, and developing that way. And then, as you move into 16s and, and the top end in 17s and 18s, it's uh, where we start to play games, um, you know, against the Giants Academy. And, um, you know, after that, that's where the opportunities to play for the Allies and for New South Wales Rams. That's where they kind of all come from. But, um, yeah, it's been huge for me and for my development. And uh, no doubt that I wouldn't be, you know, where I am as a footballer without the Academy. And, um, yeah, I don't take for granted everything they've done for me. But uh, also a lot of development away from footy as a person as well. It's been really awesome. Um you know, it's kind of one of the things we did. We had a bloke come in once and we sat down and uh, it was almost like we were at a function and all the boys had to come in and we were taught how to, you know, uh, eat properly with good etiquette and how to use all the different types of cutlery and stuff like that. So just little things like that that they kind of chuck in there as well to help you develop, um, you know, away from footy as well. Um, anything you learn about your eating skills or were yours uh, pretty much up to scratch and you had good etiquette? 
Uh, no, I had to learn a lot. I didn't didn't never knew why there were so many different sets of cutlery, but apparently it's for uh, your entrees and your mains and desserts. So I uh, <laughs> took that away from it. <laughs> and being in the academy, how much have you had to do with the you know the coaching staff at Sydney and and some of the players that will soon very you know very soon be some of your teammates? Um, yeah, I've had a, a little bit of exposure, which has been great. So um, after my under 16s year. Um, I was able to do a week of pre-season uh, with the seniors and um, started last year, obviously, before COVID happened. I was able to um, have two weeks with them, which was really good and um, learnt a lot about, you know, professionalism and just the, the standard of training that they have. And um, the Swans have been awesome in, in welcoming um, not just myself, but a number of academy boys that have been able to train with them as well. And um, they, they treat you like one of their own, which is really good. And um, just finished up a gym session actually in there in the Swans gym with the senior boys and they're, they're so nice and welcoming and um, yeah it's really good so uh, full praise for how they've treated us you know they didn't have to look after us we're just academy kids we're not on the list yet or anything like that but they um, yeah they really look after us so very thankful for them for how nice they treat us who's the best in the gym out of the Swannies boys oh well Alira he was pretty good yeah um, obviously he's gone to port but uh, I'd say probably Isaac Heaney and um, Joel Amati. They they got a couple of records up on the record board there, so they're pretty good to watch. Yeah, uh, it must be so exciting that they're soon going to be your teammates. Just take us through what it's been like for you this year. Obviously, we know all the challenges that uh, the Victorian boys have had this year uh, with the lockdown and really no football at all to play. What What's it been like uh, in Sydney? Obviously, a bit different, but I'm sure there's been plenty of challenges as well. Yeah, definitely. So... Um, you know, the initial lockdown, I actually, um, my grandparents live on a farm outside of Bendigo. So I was actually down in Victoria for about two months um, down there training, which was, was good to go down and just spend a bit of time away from the city and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed that. Um, and then came back up here and um, club footy started for us in mid-July. So I was able to play uh, nine games this year with my local club, uh, UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. And that was really enjoyable. We Unfortunately, uh, lost our grand final, but I uh, was able to play nine games with them, which was really good. And uh, we also had the two um, academy games against the Giants. Um, we played those down in Wollongong, which were, um, you know, i got to thank Chris Smith and Jared Crouch from the academy. They did a lot of hard work um, to make sure that those games went ahead because obviously there was a lot of uh, guidelines that they had to follow and, um, you know, games getting moved from in Sydney to, to Wollongong because the Canberra boys couldn't travel into Metro Sydney and stuff like that. So... Um, yeah, it was obviously a weird year, but I think I got to play over 10 games of footy this year, which is, you know, I'm really thankful for that. There's obviously a lot of boys around the country that weren't able to do that. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, actually a really enjoyable year for me personally. And you played some senior footy, best of field as a 17-year-old in the grand final last year in the top league up there in Sydney. What's that done for your development? Um Oh, it's been huge for me. I think just playing against the bigger bodies, you, you can't get away with as much as what you do in, in junior footy and, um, you know, obviously get thrown around a little bit, but just learn how to, you know, play against men and, and, and take the hits and the bumps and stuff like that. That's that's probably the biggest thing. Um, you know, I also was lucky to play a couple of NEFL games at the back end of last year as well for the Swans Reserve. So um, got a bit more exposure, I guess, to their structures and systems, which was really good. But, yeah, I think the main thing is just, um, you know, getting used to playing against the bigger bodies. But, um, yeah, it's, I love playing senior footy for my club team and had a really, as I said, really enjoyable year this year. Now, I feel sorry for you draftees because every year the, the little profiles come out and people speak about you and you're always compared to a current AFL player. And uh, Shifter Sheehan, the great man's compared you to Andrew Gaff. Is that, is that a fair comparison? 
Oh, that's a, I'd be very happy with that comparison. <laughs> I think he's a, he's a really good footballer, Andrew Gaff. So I'll, I'll take that with both arms. Um, it was funny when we, uh, our first, when I was 13, we had these uh, one off carnivals down in, in Albury for the Swans Academy where you played, you get divided up into zones and you play about five or six games in two days um, against the Giants boys. And um, Darren Deniman, who's the talent manager for, AFL New South Wales, ACT, he actually started calling me Gaffy way back then. I think that would have been 2014 or 2015. So he's always called me Gaffy. So um, to hear Shift to say, that's uh, it's pretty funny. So, yeah, no, it's a, I'm really uh, happy with that comparison. I'll take that with both hands. So you got a good tank like Gaffy? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think that's one of my strengths is, is my endurance running. And um, But at the end of the day, I think that just comes down to wanting to get the footy in my hands. And I was always taught at a young age that uh, the best way to get the footy in your hands is to just keep running all day. And the more contests you'll get to, the more likely you'll you'll be to rack them up. So um, I think it's just the hunger to get the footy as well. And we mentioned Braden Campbell before, obviously a player that will join you on the Swans list uh, next year. Matty Rendell said uh, earlier this year that he's the best field kick he's ever seen at under-18 level. So just give us, for the Swans fans and and footy fans out there, what sort of player is Braden? Well, I'll try not to pump him up too much because he's actually sitting next to me at the moment. Um, We just finished a gym session together. But, um, no, I I agree with with Matty there. Beige is uh, the best kick I've ever seen. Um, At training, you kind of have to uh, be a bit more switched on when he's kicking to you because he can uh, rip him into you and you've got to be pretty switched on. But, um, no, Braden's an awesome footballer and I think... um, that was showcased last year at the at the uh, Futures game on the G, but, um, you know, that was nothing new to me. I've seen uh, Beach do that since we were 10 years old and we were playing against each other. So, um, yeah, as I said, I've seen him do that week in, week out. So it was really good for... Um, I was really happy for him to be able to see him play really well and for other people to um, realise how good he really is. So, um, yeah, he's been awesome for me to be able to lean on, uh, especially this year. You know, it hasn't been exactly gone to plan as, as we would have liked, but... Um, to be able to go through everything with, with Beige has been awesome. And, um, yeah, he's really good for me and an awesome footballer. And um, hopefully we can play with each other for years to come. Oh, well, given his next year, what's his weakness and uh, any annoying habits? Give us a, He can't be perfect. Uh, no, he, he can't be. He's pretty close to it, though. He, um, <laughs> I, gotta, I, I better, not, better not have too much of a crack at him. He might start hitting me or something, but... Nah, he's, he's all right, Beach. He's, he's awesome to be around, and he knows. Yeah, he, uh, he knows. I was probably the other way around. I probably annoy him, to be honest. He's uh, he's a bit quieter than me, but um, for what he uh, lacks in in talking, he makes up for with his actions. So um, I won't put him down while he's next to me. I'll do it when he's not here. And as a Swans Academy player, how often do you get asked how much you're looking forward to playing with Buddy Franklin? Um, oh, a little bit. I mean. Nothing's set in stone yet. Obviously, there's a lot that can pan out on draft night. And, um, you know, to think about that would be awesome. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a weird question. I think there's a bit of water to go under the bridge before I can start, you know, answering questions like that. But, um, yeah, it would be awesome to play the Swans. But um, it'd be an honour at any AFL club. Very well answered. Uh, Who did you follow growing up? Mm. Uh, I've been a Carlton fan since I was young. Um, obviously, mum's from Bendigo, so... Um, yeah, that was kind of her influence on me. Yeah. But, um, obviously, I was I was born in Sydney, so I've always followed the Swans as well, but I've always been a Carlton fan. Oh, we'll forgive you for that one. And just finally, uh, the name Errol. Is there, a, is there a backstory behind the name Errol? Uh, so my, my old man's Turkish. So he was, he was um, from a little town in Turkey called Bodrum, and um, 
it's a, it's a Turkish name, Errol, but uh, the Turkish way it's spelt with one R. Um, but mum and dad decided, um, you know, when I was, because I was obviously born in Australia, that they'd, they'd chuck two R's in there because, uh, you know, it's the Australian way of spelling it. But, um, yeah, my name, middle name's Orhan and last name's Gulden. So when I went over to Turkey a couple of years ago, I got stopped at the customs and they started speaking to me in Turkish because they got this full-blown Turkish name and I don't speak a lick of Turkish, so I kind of froze and <laughs> mum and dad had to come back and kind of help me out and explain what was going on. But um, it's a Turkish name, so that's, yeah, that's the backstory to it. Ah, I see, I see. Well, Errol, thanks so much for your time. It's a, a really exciting time for you and Braden and uh, all the other draftees with the draft only a couple of weeks away. Uh, we all expect you to be a Sydney Swans player and let's, for your sake, let's hope that pans out uh, that way on draft night. Thanks so much for your time this morning. No, cheers. Thank you very much for having me. Trent Coatland has been good enough to join us on the line. Uh, morning, Trent. Morning, Jules. How are you going? Very well, very well. Now, more importantly, before we get in and preview this game in the summer, Sydney's weather often lets us down when it comes to sporting events. Give us a weather update today. <laughs> I've been the weather update man on the WBBL the last couple of nights as well. It's, uh, I'm standing in my backyard at the moment, looking out in the beautiful sunny sky, few clouds. It's going to be a beautiful afternoon, I reckon. There's no real uh, expectation of rain, and tomorrow is going to be stinking hot, 35 to 38 degrees. So I wouldn't have thought there'd be too much rain around. Beautiful. That's good to hear. And look, we've had, certainly had a taste of some cricket this summer. And as you say, the WBBL semifinals have been wonderful the last two nights. We've got a big final coming up as well. But just how good is it going to be to have some uh, international cricket and two of the big guns uh, playing? It's just felt like such a long year for so many sports. And, and we had a taste of the Aussies playing uh, over in England a couple of months ago. But uh, just to turn on the TV this afternoon and uh, see this match underway. Yeah, and what a treat it's going to be. It's not just any international cricket, as you say. It's two of the best teams in the world and some of the best players in the world that on any given day can just do something that no one's ever seen before. You know, it's the, the Virat Kohlis of the world, the, the Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, even guys like Glenn Maxwell and, and Marcus Stoinis who have been tearing it up in the IPL. Um, I'm really excited to see these two teams go head-to-head, and it's not just about the day-night of tonight. It's six ODIs, a lot of white ball cricket, and then a huge test series where Australia have got some revenge to get after India knocked us off two summers ago. Yeah, it should be a great series. We'll talk about the test series uh, very shortly, but just having a look at today's match, it, it seems pretty easy to pick the 11 for Australia. Do you think there'll be any surprises at all? Uh, well, certainly reading the tea leaves, it looks like it's going to be from the last game that they played in England where Steve Smith missed with concussion. Uh, Mitch Marsh played that game. He's now out with injury. So I would imagine that you know, you're looking at a pretty straightforward swap of Steve Smith coming in for Mitch Marsh. Obviously, there's a difference in all-rounder status there. But um, I think you bring in a world-class player and the rest of the team pretty much picks itself and... All those guys who have been there for a long time now are in some pretty good form. So uh, certainly the Sheffield Shield games I played with Mitchell Stark, he looked like he was fit and firing and bowling rapid. So uh, I'm excited to see what the boys dish up today. We sort of had the, the Australian squad training in two groups because the ones coming back from the IPL have, have had to quarantine. They only hooked up for the first time last night. Is that any concern going into the game today? Not really, mate. I, I, had you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said probably. And, you know, team cohesion, 
Um, you know, the norm being that you're always in the one place at the one time with your squads. Nowadays, players are regularly changing formats, regularly flying in and out, um, you know, playing with new teammates all the time in the IPL, things like that. The expectation of these athletes now is you walk on the field with a jersey on and that particularly Australian emblem on your chest and you're going to perform. So... I've got no concerns whatsoever. The boys will be ready. You touched on the excitement of seeing Virat Kohli on our shores again. Unfortunately, it won't be for the whole summer, but we fully understand the reasons uh, why he's going back to India to be at the birth of his child. We've been talking about villains in sport today and ones that have sort of turned you around that you secretly love. How do you feel about Virat Kohli? Does he get under your skin when you see him playing the Aussies or do you just love the fact that he he takes up the fight to Australia or, or takes up the fight to anyone that he's playing against? I genuinely, absolutely love watching him play. And look, I, as an Australian, um, you know, having seen him just dominate Australians, and then even, you know, as you say, getting in the contest and in the fight, bit of sledging, I love that stuff, mate. I, I think we should see more of it. The passion, the the true care for not just playing a sport at the top level, but giving it absolutely everything you've got. I think... You know, it's it's pretty rare these days. A lot of people sit behind the cliches, sit behind, uh, you know, little bubbles. And even, you know, in, in recent times, COVID has changed access and how people, you know, orient their day-to-day goings-on. And Virat is just himself all the time, which, you know, there's a lot to be said. And you think about it, think of, say, 15 years ago, the Sachin Tendulkar, when he walked out, the cauldron in Delhi or in Mumbai and he gets out the whole place is just deadly silent the entire country of India treat Virat exactly the same, it's like a religion when when he's out there he's everything to that country and for him to do what he does and carry himself so well amongst that it's pretty special. Yeah, you can't imagine the pressure he would be under, as, as, like Sachin was in his day and and some of the other great Indian stars uh, even before that. Just talking about the Test Series, Ishant Sharma's been ruled out of the series due to injury. How, how big a blow is that for India? Yeah, it's big. Uh, well, we just were talking about it before, that revenge on last summer for Australia. Sorry, two summers ago for Australia. He was a big part of He combined with Jasper Bumra and Mohammed Shami just provide such different challenges for the Australian batters. Ishant bowls the non-traditional in-swing to the right-hander, um, was very successful to our left-handers around the wicket like Travis Head, Matty Wade, guys like that. So I just think that they lose not only the experience and, and how many games that he has under his belt, um, but also that really unique away swing that he gets to the left-handers. So, look, it's it's big, but the Indian pace bowling stocks are as, as deep as Australia's. I think they're the two best bowling attacks in the world. And the, the Australian selection is going to be fascinating. This this uh, contest between Will Bukowski and also Joe Burns. We know there's two you know, very important Australia A games before that first test uh, in Adelaide starting on December 17. What's your view on who should open the batting uh, with Dave Warner in that first test? Yeah, tough one. Tough one to answer and a tough one, no doubt, for the selectors. Do you go with the young, hot hand, as they say, with you know, two double hundreds in a row? The first two times that Will has opened the batting for Victoria as well. So, look... I, had any other team been out here, not India, 
um, or maybe even an Ashes series that we're going to see next summer, you may well have seen Pekovsky just straight in and, and, you know, not throwing him to the wolves, so to speak. But um, I think we might see, and it certainly looked that way with how the, the team has been speaking and certainly JL when he's addressed it, um, there's a real chemistry there between Joe and Dave at the top of the order. And in a contest like this, where it can be quite brutal at times, and Jack Boomer and, and some of the world's best bowlers coming at you, we might see that to start the summer to try and get off on the right foot, regardless of maybe the form comparison between Joe and Will. But look, one thing I do know is that guys like Will Pekovsky and Cameron Green, whether it's now, whether it's in two test time or whether it's in two years time, they're going to be bloody good test players for us for a long period of time, that's for sure. What do you make of Dave Warner's comments this week? Obviously, he, he was he was full of praise for Pekoski as well, but it did. the inference was that he would like Joe Burns. He's got a good partnership with Joe Burns, and he got the feeling he would like Joe Burns to open with him. I mean, does what Dave Warner wants come into the conversation at all when they sit down to select this team? Oh, look, I reckon there was actually a bit more read into that than maybe there should have been, to be honest. But I think that Dave just made mention of the fact that there is a good relationship there. It wasn't necessarily in comparison or whether he you know, should absolutely be picked uh, regardless of form or anything just because they have a good relationship. So, look, I, I think it was more, you, know, you think back to the years where JL opened the batting with Matty Hayden and it was... Or even when they were batting at three, it was like a brotherhood. They just talked of each other so fondly. And I think Joe and Dave just genuinely get on so well off the field that that was the first point of reference for him. So, look, I think it will be important, that chemistry, the the way they interact and and go about their their partnership. But, look, if, if he's not the best player to open the batting for Australia, same as any position in that team, if you're not in the best 11, chemistry ain't going to get you there. You suggesting maybe the Victorian media might have looked a bit more into those comments? <laughs> Give oh, a look. No, not, not at all. <laughs> uh, mind you, I, I think it, it is bloody well deserved the Victorian media getting excited about a young kid like yeah. Will Pekowski, as the rest of the country is as well. Same with Cameron Green. Yeah, 100%. So, look, you know, uh, read into it what you will. Um, I'm as just as excited. Um, but, you know, this first test against India, and particularly the first two tests, back to back, day night, the first one and also then, you know, Boxing Day, doesn't get much bigger than that against India. So I think the magnitude of the situation might read into it as well. Yeah, that's a really good point you make, uh, Trent. Uh, We can't wait for the action to get underway this afternoon, and uh, thanks for your time. We look forward to all your great work on Channel 7 over the summer. Thanks, mate. Anytime. Ben Damon from Fox Sports, and he joins us on the line. Good morning, Benny. Yeah, g'day, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm very well. I'm very well. Now, this fight is... It's fascinating for so many reasons, uh, given we've got two boxes over 50. No one seems to know what the rules are in the fight. Can you just take us through, first of all, what are the rules surrounding this fight in terms of the length of the rounds? Can there be knockouts and all these sort of things, which seem to be right up in the air at the moment? Look, it wouldn't be a Mike Tyson event if it wasn't absolute chaos, would it? So um, I think it's fitting that nobody knows what's going on. But what I can tell you is that we've got eight two-minute rounds. They're wearing slightly heavier gloves, with the intent being that that uh, lessens the power just slightly. Um, In terms of a winner, where there are going to be some judges and they will be deciding a winner, the broadcast will give a winner, and there will be a winner announced, but that won't go on their official record in terms of having a victory in their professional boxing careers. So 
Um, yeah, it, it's an event, an exhibition event for all intents and purposes, but because it's a pay-per-view event as well, uh, they're really trying to pump it up. I read this from podcaster Joe Rogan who said, I can guarantee when the bell goes off, this is going to be a expletive fight. Mike Tyson is not fighting in any exhibitions. He's going to come out bobbing and weaving, swinging death with each hand. So how's, how's yeah. Mike going to approach this? That's right. I interviewed Mike Tyson uh, what, a week and a half ago, and he just said that. I, I said, is this a real fight or an exhibition? He goes, well, I'm going to be fighting. So uh, with, with the insinuation being that uh, Roy Jones Jr. better do the same, he said the same thing, Roy Jones. He said, yeah, they can have all the rules that they like, but um, once we get in there, him and uh, Mike Tyson, with all the fighting they've done in their lives and what they've got built into themselves, there's no way you could hold them back. So, yeah, they'll be getting out there, they'll be throwing big shots, and they'll be trying to knock each other out. Um, uh, whether the referee uh, decides to put himself in between them at any point when it gets a bit too rough, well, that's his call. But I know myself, I probably wouldn't want to get in between these two fellas. Uh, I'd probably just let him go. So um, I think it adds to um, this event, the fact that we just don't know what might happen. And that's really what happens in Mike Tyson's life. He's just never quite sure where things are going to go. And there's absolutely no difference about uh, what's going to take place on Sunday. You mentioned there that you've, you interviewed Mike Tyson. What's he like to interview? Um, he's tricky. Uh, mm. He's very tricky. So this one was by satellite, uh, so that's all well and good. But I have interviewed him in person a couple of times. Um, once I had quite a, a lengthy chat with him um, for a feature documentary we made, uh, which was sort of a, a five-hour interview. And during the course of that interview, he cried a few times. Um, he laughed hysterically to the point it was a bit awkward uh, on a number of occasions. He stormed out twice. The second time, I thought he was going to hit me, but he didn't. And then at the end <laughs> of it, uh, he got up. And he walked over to me and he held me quite gently and he told me he loved me. Um, and, and I thought, well, this is great. We've had such a bonding experience. Uh, me and Mike Tyson, really good mates. And then the next day we were doing some more shooting and I turned up and he came over and he introduced himself and said, hey, I'm Mike Tyson. <laughs> didn't remember any of it. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a different fella. Uh, there's a bit going on there. So would you interview him in person again or you just stick to the satellite from now on? <laughs> I'm more than happy to if we can get over there. But uh, one thing for sure, he won't go, g'day, Ben, how are you going? That's, that's a, that is a great story. Now, I, I was reading a preview of this fight where someone said, don't even bother tuning in. This will be one of the most boring fights of all time. Is, is that harsh? Or because it involves Mike Tyson, you've got to watch it because you don't know what's going to happen. It won't be boring. Um, it, it like it, it could aesthetically not be a pretty fight. There's every chance of that. Like Maybe Mike Tyson gets in there and finds out he just can't do what he thinks he can do and um, things don't go according to plan and he uh, takes off the gloves and storms out or something like that or Roy Jones dances around him and Mike can't get near him. Or, but it, it won't be boring because whatever happens is going to be of interest. It's going to be exciting to see how these two blokes, and yeah, they are in their 50s, but um, they've had such fantastic moments in boxing the pair of them. Roy Jones Jr., he's a legend himself. He won world titles from middleweight to heavyweight, which is just ridiculous. Mike Tyson, we know what he does best, and he knocks people out. And he's given every, every indication that's what he's going to be seeking to do. So, yeah, I, I doubt this will be boring. Um, it may not be spectacular, but it may be. And, uh, yeah, we just have to wait and see. So it's his first sanctioned fight since losing to Kevin McBride in 2005. Now, we've seen some videos and him doing some of his work. He looks in pretty good condition, but what, what sort of state is he in physically and what can we expect? Yeah, he looks in 
he looks in incredible condition. Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't know. Like, you look at the um, the training footage, and we're seeing more and more of it. Initially, it was just 10 seconds on the pads here and, you know, 10 seconds hitting a bag or, or, or punching the air sort of thing. You thought, well, that's all well and good, but what happens when there's someone punching back? But now we are seeing a bit more, and he clearly is in very good condition, and he's feeling really strong and really well within himself so um and Roy Jones well he's always fit he's hardly stopped training since he retired a few years ago so uh yeah I I think that there's every indication that for 50 something year old men these are about the fittest of them in the world and the most prepared for an event like this but again we just have to see if that holds up say if we get into the sixth seventh and eighth round of this fight um, can they continue to go at each other and throw those big shots? Because it's tough for anyone at any age. But uh, when you haven't done it for a while and when you are in your 50s, it's even trickier. So, um, yeah, it's just another question mark for us. And just finally, is this a one-off for Mike or could we see him do some other exhibition fights? I think it depends how this goes. But um, when I interviewed him the other day, I did ask that. And he said, no, no, I'd love to have some other um, big fights straight after this. And I said, oh, well, Evander Holyfield's an obvious one for you, like his greatest uh, rival, arguably, in the ring. He said, yeah, Evander's won. But then he said, oh, Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua. And I said, well, they're all um, pretty high-level heavyweights at the moment. You've mentioned two of them in with all of the belts in the heavyweight division. Do you seriously want to come make a comeback to professional boxing? And he sort of said, oh, no, it's just exhibition. So... Um, who knows what might happen? If things go according to plan for Mike, if he gets out there and he starches Roy Jones Jr. early in this fight with a big right hand and everyone carries him out of the ring and he feels like a hero again, then he'll be doing it again and again and again. And you don't forget either that he's earning $10 bucks for this. So he's pretty keen to keep uh, that sort of cash ticking over. So if he doesn't embarrass himself, if he enjoys it, he will most certainly be doing it again. I bet it'll be fascinating viewing on Sunday. And knowing Mike Tyson, it'll probably be the event of the weekend we'll all be talking about uh, come Monday. Thanks for your time. We look forward to uh, watching it on main event. Yeah, thanks, Jules. It'll be a big Sunday and there's a huge boxing coming up over the course of the rest of the year. So, um, yeah, it's a good way to get us started into a really, really big month on main event and Fox Sports. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.